Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Anna Tashinsky, and Andrew Hunter-Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Andy. My fact is that Charles Darwin kept a pet bug so he could see how long it lasted on a meal of blood. Mm. Whose blood? So, I went to Charles Darwin's house recently. Oh, yeah. Which is called Down House. uh, And it's amazing. It's really great because they preserved it almost exactly as it was when he was living there. Because it was his, then it passed to his and his wife's children, and then it became a museum. So they've got the chair he wrote The Origin of Species in. They've got all of his little experiments in the garden. And there was a board up which said that it was, it, it seemed to imply that it was his blood. Actually, I think it was, he got the bug to drink someone else's blood and then just monitored the bug. I Did suspect. he just drag people off the street? Well, um, he he was on the, the voyage of the Beagle at the time. Because oh. the voyage took years. I mean, the voyage yeah. was really, yeah, really yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. You so, need company on that kind of thing. A pet's a good idea. It's well, a really good idea. Exactly. <laughs> do so we the, know what this bug is, by the way? We do. It's called the Vinchuca now. Uh, at the time, he called it the Benchuca. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, it it's called the kissing bug or the assassin bug, and it crawls all over your body mm-hmm. and then drinks your blood. And he he so he put it on the table. And from the account, he got some sailors on the boat to offer their fingers to the bug. And he said that um, it would immediately protrude its sucker, make a charge, and if allowed, draw blood. And then in ten minutes, it went from being inc- completely flat to being <laughs> globular. Uh, and that. This one feast kept it fat during four whole months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. Is that the one that he got Shagger's disease from? Yeah. Yeah. This is of all the bugs that you could <laughs> keep as a pet. This is the one whereby... It's the it's, yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. Mosquito <laughs> might be worse. Mosquito's bad, but this is the one where it's got that longevity thing where uh, you, if you get bitten by it and the sort of whatever saliva goes into your body, 20 years later, yeah. you might is have it? heart conditions. So he had, yeah. he had incredibly poor health for the last few decades of his life really terrible digestion and just sort of all, just awful health and we think it may be it's not completely sure what it was but there's a really strong theory that it was his shag- pet. Sh- his pet shaggers disease from his pet bug <laughs> and when i say shaggers disease it's c h a g a s isn't it but it is. it's, i pronounce it shaggers it's much yeah. more funny to pronounce it shaggers because <laughs> you could go to a sex addict uh, meeting but you thought you were going to a shaggers <laughs> disease meeting it's just cool to say at the pub, isn't it? Got Shagger's disease. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you catch it? Yeah, yeah. Off an insect. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be dead in a couple of years. <laughs> well, um, did he have a name for the pet? No, I don't think he named the pet. And that, again, this brings uh, into question. Is it a pet? Is did it... he take it for walks? It seems very unlikely, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. But a cat is a pet and you don't take that for a walk normally. No, did it sit normally. on his lap uh, while he watched telly? Uh, what was the <laughs> Did it just aloofly walk away from him all the time Like my cat does Pet, exactly yeah, right. Did it show no emotional interest <laughs> Pet It was a cat Effectively it turns out he had a cat yeah. uh, <laughs> But wait, if, if he got Shagger's disease from it It does imply that he did experiment on it himself, right? It may have been That's one of its true. many rival colleague bugs Which actually mm. gave him the disease right. But he may also have He, he probably did let it, let it feed He yeah. did But it was on that trip Which he wrote in his Voyage of the Beagle Diary That there was a night where there was an attack of these kind of bugs where he was bitten so I don't think it was necessarily his pet that went for him 
as opposed to a whole swarm mm. in, in the middle oh, of the really? night. Yeah. Um, it is a really cool house. He had a, he had his desk chair, uh, like so many animals, evolved to meet his needs. Mm-hmm. As in, it gave birth to, to other desk chairs, some of which died because they weren't adapted oh, well enough to the or environment. Did he and then... intelligently design it to change it? Oh my god, he absolutely, he actually did. <laughs> oh my god, it. he um, yeah, he disproved himself. It was a big, comfy chair, and he had a board across it so he yeah. could sit in basically a lovely big armchair, but also right. I think we said yeah. it had wheels. It had wheels. The first office chair. Yeah. It had wheels. the office yeah. chair. Yeah. They yeah. love tampering with furniture because we've actually mentioned years <laughs> ago that Erasmus Darwin, his grandfather, <laughs> adjusted a table to accommodate his fat stomach, yes. didn't he? Yes, cut a yeah. hole in it. Yeah. 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 Well, they were part of the Wedgwood family. So yes. they liked interiors. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Was that... On that side of the family? No, it was oh, his wife, wasn't it? Um, but yeah. I just remembered they were cousins, he and his wife. So actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> both sides of the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you said it lasted four months, right? And yeah. mo- a lot of bloodsuckers, they've got a bad rep, but they do last a very long time, mm. most of them, mm-hmm. on very small amounts of blood. Well, the little bloodsuckers. Okay. So um, I think you can get um, lice that last like a year on one blood meal. Wow. And leeches. So we breed leeches. Actually, Wales has the world's uh, biggest leech breeding farm for mm. medical purposes like the vast majority of the world's leeches that are used in medicine and they don't put that in the tourist information <laughs> no no and i think why they not? should why did they choose the dragon as their animal <laughs> leech dragons don't even exist good point and leech is much easier to draw yes <laughs> <laughs> looks a bit like a poo though on the flag yeah you don't want that if you, you draw the serrated teeth and the slobbering fangs i think it'll make clearer <laughs> that it's a leech yeah, and i think yeah. on the flag that would think because yeah, like yeah. if you put eyes on a poo it still looks like a poo as emojis have showed us that's true that i think if you've got the leech latched into a human that's, vein that's a great idea oh, yeah, that's yeah. a nice logo and for maybe a cut the back off it so that it just keeps sucking and the blood pours out of its <laughs> rectum why Why is it a severed leech well that's what they do with leeches isn't it when you have blood sucking leeches if you're a a guy from the 16th century or something a doctor you Mm. put a leech on them and you cut the end off and they just keep eating i think so because they don't know they're full I'm going off memory, so I might be completely wrong. They're not yeah. full. They're empty. You're emptying them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full. It's like, so you know, when people pack suitcases to go on holiday, but you don't want them to go in Austin Powers, for instance. You, you'd, as they <laughs> put the clothes in, the... you take them out. Oh, I see. You don't yeah, cut yeah. a hole in the suitcase. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> they get pissed off about Wait, that. Wait, so could you bleed to death if you had a anusless no. leech? It, no, I think no. your body would create enough yeah. blood. Okay, your body has a lot of, lot of blood. Yeah, it would take a long time and a lot of leeches. Okay. Yeah. Still quite um, amazing. My cat, I have to feed it every day. How long did that bug say? One year without a meal? Yeah, you can go one year without a meal. These leeches, they get fed sheep's blood every six months on the farm. Which is not, I guess there's probably just one sheep and every six months it gets a call and it's like, it's your day today. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right, if it's only twice a year. I think, do they put it in a put a load of sheep's blood in a condom or something and then the leeches have to attach onto yeah, it. Yeah, maybe it's that. Get that what? on the flag. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually hadn't realised how widespread they are in plastic surgery, for instance. So there was a survey of 50 plastic surgery units in the UK and 80% of them use leeches in the last five years. So true? it's very it's common in What are they, in, in that scenario, what are they using they them for? They shove them in, inside your boobs to make them bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Just loads and loads of leeches. You can see them wriggling (laughs) at posh place. Um, They are used for because they thin blood. uh, So when they latch onto onto you to suck your blood, they thin it out so they can suck as much of it as possible. Mm. So in surgery, it's very useful because often you get blood clots after surgery. And also, if you're reattaching limbs, so if your nose has fallen off, 
and you need to have it reattached it's quite common to use leeches to sort of connect the two bits to keep the blood flow going otherwise your blood would just clot and mm. then you wouldn't they be able to get the blood flow yeah. yeah as it's pooling nose. in the area they just remove it and it means that the new capillaries form neatly cool. between How the two amazing. they're amazing um let's do some other animals that eat blood Ooh, okay yeah. well ch- check this out right so mosquitoes oh yeah they eat blood they do. Yes, sure. We all know that. Famously. What I didn't know is that there are midges that eat mosquitoes. Yeah. So they eat the blood from the mosquito. Oh, so it's I like see. a. It's, they're having oh. our blood via the mosquito. Then is there a smaller little louse that's latched onto the midge? Possibly, yeah. It's the, the opposite of a Russian doll. Because um, also it's on the outside. It's out flowing, yeah, flowing out. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. I was, I was hearing blood is actually incredibly. I thought of blood as being an ultimate food. Yeah. Well, you are a vampire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, yeah. As in, I thought it's a superfood. It's like kale. Yeah, <laughs> it's like red kale. It's it's strong. You know, you drink the blood to gain the yeah. life. You know, it's sort of life force. Andy, this is really creepy. It's incredible. I don't know well, how people think of it that way. It's full I, of iron. It's full of iron. <laughs> it turns out it's the pretty much the worst food you can have. Yeah, it's really? so rubbish. So yeah. it's incredible. It doesn't have um, enough B vitamins for you to survive on. So. Almost everything needs B vitamins, and it's got none. Quite um, a lot of cereals have B vitamins added, don't they? So you can put blood on your cornflakes. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, well, that's a good solution. You're right, for the natural world. But um, <laughs> but uh, so red meat has a thousand times as much vitamin B12 as blood, just to put that in context. Wow. Um, also, I, it does have loads of iron, which can be toxic. So that's a problem as well. Mm. And leeches and ticks mm. and lots of other blood-sucking creatures, they have to have special bacteria in their stomachs, which create B vitamins... And leeches have to have particular tissue to oh, sort of really? tie up the iron which they're ingesting. They don't want to ingest this iron, but they've got these special ah. uh, chemicals in them to to protect themselves from it. So it's yeah. a, it's a terrible food. Yeah. So there's thirty thousand species I read that are blood suckers. Wow. wow. And and that sounds a lot, except for Andy's <laughs> it point is it's really not a lot when you when you consider how readily available blood is and also species. how many species there are how many species mm-hmm. there are so mm. that's actually quite a limited number which goes to your point that it's not the most practical right. of food okay so like ev- like everything loads of carnivals eat meat there are way more than 30,000 of those but yeah blood suckers you have to be really specially evolved yeah, to do it exactly mm. cool. so it's not the ultimate food well that's you've exploded <laughs> the myth there <laughs> Do hey, not pick that box on HelloFresh <laughs> the next time you're ordering that. Blood box. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the child who the book The Exorcist was based on went on to become a NASA engineer whose inventions contributed to the Apollo moon missions. So cool. Wow. Yeah. So are you saying that actually they levitated yes. all the way to the moon? Yes. Saying, <laughs> fuck you, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> Propelled by vomit coming out <laughs> from the astronauts. Yeah. So the author of The Exorcist, the novel, William Blatty, he based it on a true life story. Mm. And it was in 1949 in St. Louis in Missouri. Mm. And it was the story of a kid who we've known as Roland Doe. And no one's known who he is. Then it gets revealed, an engineer from NASA who's called Ronald Edwin Hunkler, he in fact was the boy. Oh. And that, the other name was a, was a pseudonym. And uh, all along, p- 
people within NASA, you know, close friends knew this, mm-hmm. but he never wanted to tell anyone wow. because he found it an extraordinarily embarrassing thing. So he was someone who worked at NASA, who was part of the Apollo missions, as I just said. He also had a few patents with them. He made these ceramics that you put on the outside of um, of rockets. Cool. Oh, the teacups and stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's like a special <clears throat> ceramic plates. And I think when there was a crash or a problem recently they blamed it on the ceramic plates you might rem- people might remember that right. so basically, he, he messed it up no 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 that was a different <laughs> oh, issue okay. but um, he invented this thing which was like foamed ceramics right. um, where you would like make a slurry of different materials and then you would wait for it to bubble up and then you put it into the oven and it would bake and it would be really heat resistant wow. he invented those things so cool we should say that obviously the exorcist the film is Re- Reagan the girl so I don't know at what point it changed was it in the book that it was a girl as well when yeah, did I it think, change from a boy ooh, to a girl I, 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 uh, I think actually. in the book it was a girl yeah. yes okay. in the book it was a girl but yeah yeah, yeah. and then he cha- he changed it um, what was his name Blatty yeah mm-hmm. he changed it because it was a way of masking what had gone on but yeah. um, nice. it was very the, the original case sounds extremely spooky which you wouldn't <laughs> <expect>. think it, <laughs> no um does it though does to me so the, 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 he was terrifying yeah, yeah. Mm. he was born in 1935 this boy and mm. um <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> don't open with that <laughs> well the, the, the cases of things like hearing scratching noises from oh, his yeah. bedroom walls and the, the family minister wrote to a parapsychology lab at duke university when the boy was 14 years old so 1949 and said that his bed shook when he was in it. <laughs> no, come on. No, stop. And he that, could have had Shagger's disease. He, could have, <laughs> he was 14. Um, and that a picture, of, uh, a picture of Christ on the wall shook when he was nearby. Mm. As in the image itself was... Uh, you know, right. Spooky. Yeah. He did live in yeah. an earthquake-prone place. I can't believe they're the things you're picking out as spooky. So many mad things happen. Oh, so okay, the details okay. from the uh, from the story that we know are based on basically this diary by Father Raymond Bishop. So there were a few priests who rocked up to try and help out yeah. uh, with the exorcism. Mm. Father Raymond Bishop was one of them. Very confusing. Not a bishop. A priest called Bishop. Oh, clever. But, but I mean, name yourself for the job you want. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. working his way My up. My local priest in Bolton is called a pastor. That's no. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have started an Italian and... restaurant there. <laughs> <laughs> he replaced someone called Father McVicker. No. Yeah, no. Yeah. That is that's someone on. who was voted on in an internet poll, wasn't it? Vicar <laughs> 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 <Vicky> McVicker face. <laughs> Um, anyway bishop mcbishop face wrote this diary about all the stuff that happened which is part of the reason why um we're sometimes skeptical about the facts of the exorcist because he didn't come on until a bit later so he was using what he'd been told by the family and the other priests had been involved earlier on but some of the things he said are kind of amusing so um there was apparently once there was a question of the time of departure from the house and suddenly the word saturday appeared written (laughs) on the boy's hip so i guess the devil's like you know get leave on saturday um there was for instance his desk at school used to move independently of him it's very hard to fake that i just not like it's not like all these (laughs) wow independently of anyone that just moves okay i'm with anna now can we just clarify please that obviously we know it's all lies i'm not saying it's true i'm just saying that some of the claims that were made about what happens you couldn't say a boy had done it what i didn't believe was the priest so what are you saying did it then it's just lies (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's made, it made up. It's made, made up his shit. <laughs> but he said he left school out of embarrassment that his desk was moving. Now, I think <laughs> if I was a school child and my desk moved independently, you'd be the coolest kid in school. Yeah. That's not embarrassing, what? is it? Oh, children are very quick to find a point of difference, yeah. aren't they? And if you were quite nerdy and then your desk started moving... 
that's not going to help you become cool. I, don't right. I can I can picture what would have happened if I had been possessed by a demon at school. Uh, would have wouldn't have helped. Right. Okay. No, no, no. No. Good to and know. Th- this guy Hunkler, the the exorcism boy, yeah. uh, then growing up, he always apparently went out on Halloween. Okay. Because he was worried that someone would find him on Halloween. Oh, mm. I see. Not because he was worried the demons would come back, just because. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed to be very paranoid about being found out for being this boy. It really mm. terrified, it ruined his life a bit. Well, it's because yeah. the, the book sold 13 million copies in America yeah. alone. But using a fictional plotline with a girl, he yeah. was nicely hidden. But I guess someone would have known, right? They would have known where he lived. I think some people he worked with knew. Yeah. Like, people did yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But that um, true. So, I reckon it was an open secret in the area. Yeah, Come definitely. On. In the newspaper reports around the time, this is from the Baltimore Evening Sun uh, from 1949, they said um, that it took 20 to 30 exorcisms to get rid of the demon. Uh, and that at the end of each one, the child would have a tantrum and voice scraps of Latin. And that a boy once sat in a chair and it tipped over... That was evidence that he had a demon. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it did say that local families were sprinkling um, holy water around his house because they'd heard about this demon possession and everyone would go around and put holy water That's there. Annoying. You've got to get really good coverage, though, because holy water doesn't come in big quantities. No, As in, it's you not can't like... put it in a hose pipe. Yeah, mm. it's not like putting down vinegar to deter a fox where you can just slosh it about. Couldn't you just get a big vat of water and get a priest to... To bless it. To bless Does it, it then yeah. all become holy? Yeah, why don't not... we just bless all the water then? As in, if this works, which I'm not saying it does, why not just bless? Because he like wants... send, send a priest to the Pacific Ocean. Exactly. And just... Bless that. And then we're Do laughing. I think <laughs> you, basically, you're going to have to do this. Go to Lourdes, <laughs> okay. buy up all the holy water, yeah. drink it all, yeah. piss it out, get it back into the water cycle. And then it some of it will holy. be, yeah, it'll be like one or two bits of it will be in every glass of water you ever drink. We'll have a little bit of holy water in it. Well, that's a good idea. That's exciting. Yeah. 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 Presumably that's true already. You know, the holy water has been part of the water cycle, hasn't it? Do How people does it drink it and piss it out? But it's been, it's been it's sprinkled on people. It evaporates. Oh, it goes up into the clouds. Yeah. It's in the, it's in the seas. All water is holy. I think we've Great. established. There we go. Nice. We're fine. Well, that's why um, demon possessions have dropped off, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the um, lo- some local families, like I say, they sprinkled water around this house, but there was one family that didn't believe any of it and they invited him to stay with them and said okay we'll see if you're really possessed and they reported that his bed shook and bumped in the night and they became believers according to the baltimore (laughs) evening sun (laughs) one of the other symptoms um according to the priests who were there and this one you could fake probably Mm -hmm. if you're talented is that apparently during possession several times there was the passing of wind through his rectum (laughs) <laughs> well, one thing I noticed because I looked at all of his patents. One of his patents is for gaseous flow purging in thermal blanket cleaning. Um, so his oh patents was about gaseous flow, and oh, while he was possessed, he also had gaseous flow. And I read through every single patent he did, and that was the only link I could find. To the <laughs> it just seems to be a teenage boy farting and shaking the bed, yeah, you know, yeah. through unknown mechanisms. I bet he needed some um, thermal blanket cleaning after the. Uh... <laughs> In the film, yeah. there, was a, there was a lot of chat that maybe the filming itself was haunted. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because, be. uh, for example, the climactic exorcism scene, when they were filming it, it had to be delayed because a pigeon flew into a light box <gasps> and the set burned down. The set burned down? Woo! Yeah. The set burned down? Well, a pigeon, uh, the pigeon, I imagine, 
the, the light boxes are very hot. Yeah, no, no, we're not we understand about... why, but I feel yeah. like that's a big story. Yeah. Well, the thing is, the director William Friedkin uh, claimed that a winged creature with talons oh, had been responsible for this. He was freaking out. Was responsible for it, so I think he was sexing up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The spooky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's officially three Exorcist movies. So the first one was based on the novel, okay. and then the second one, Blatty went off, and they just made they wrote a sequel and they put that out Exorcist 3 so sorry it's the, the famous one is the first one famous yeah, yeah, one is the first yeah, one okay. and, and then there's a sequel yeah Got then it. there's the sequel and then there's Exorcist 3 which Blatty himself wrote and directed so he came back for the third one. Oh, but, but the novelist, right? The novelist, yeah. But he worked in he worked in film generally anyway. But so he also wrote novels, and he he wanted to make his novel, which was called Legion, into a movie. Okay. And I think when they were funding it, something went round where they sort of said, "It's not going to happen. What if we call it Exorcist 3? So it was named Exorcist Three. So he was directing it, directing the whole movie. They'd done the whole production, and then during the production, someone noticed that. Hang on, there's no exorcisms in this movie whatsoever. <laughs> What's going on? And so the money people came and said, "What are you doing? Why is this called this?" So he said, "Well, it's actually based on my novel Legion, which doesn't have any exorcisms in it." So they ended up making him refilm the entire last third of the movie at costs of four million dollars, just so they could introduce some random new father character what? who could perform no, an exorcism in the movie. Me. That seems reasonable if they're calling yeah, it Exorcist Three. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's either that or change the name. It's yeah, like what exactly. was Legion about? Did it fit with the plot? Or was I it... actually don't know. Yeah, was it, it about like a Roman army <laughs> <laughs> halfway through? Vidi Vidi, what was that? <laughs> they're all speaking Latin all the way through. It's incredibly scary. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that plants remember droughts. <laughs> and they like it. They like it. They, they like, like it because it's useful to them. How's it useful for them? Because they can't go somewhere. They <laughs> can't go, oh, let's move it. next to that river. Yeah. Can mm. they? they can't. They haven't worked out how to buy plane tickets to wet places yet. What <laughs> no. you can do is you can take action as oh. a plant. Yeah. Um, so this is this is kind of an amazing discovery about plants because it kind of taps into something that we thought that they were not capable of doing at all, which is more of an animal feature. How it works is, let's say you take a plant that has undergone a really bad drought, mm. um, and then you take a plant that didn't undergo a really bad drought, and then you subject them both to a bad drought the following year. The plant that underwent the bad drought is going to have learned to deal with it and it can do clever things like it can not open its pores as much so it doesn't lose as much water um you know it can do clever things to conserve water to make it less uh less shit Hmm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) these technical words they're just shit that's what they said in the paper and uh it's because um it's very clever so basically they make a molecule which is called the GABA molecule um which acts like a memory so they make more of this molecule when it's droughty um and that molecule is what tells it next time to do things like not open its pores so it doesn't lose water and the unbelievable thing about this which i think is maybe even more amazing is that it's sort of deposited on their genes um this learning process so it's epigenetics you know when um, oh, what's that know? again? It's basically the opposite of Darwinism. It's like you're not just getting your genes from your parents, you're learning something, and then that goes into your genes, and then you can pass it on. Wow. I feel a bit challenged, actually. It feels a bit pointed that Anna's brought up this anti Darwinistic yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Just Lamarckism almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Anna. I'm rubbishing um, your favourite. You the other amazing thing also, about it. Sorry, sorry, I just got one like, yeah, on, yeah. specifically on that. You just said this thing was called GABA? 
mm-hmm. the molecule. Mm-hmm. GABA is also an acronym for a very dry place. It's a cricket ground in Australia, the GABA. Well, there's, it's in Australia. So the GABA mm-hmm. is a slang term, Aussie slang term, which stands for the Great Australian Bugger All. Oh, and it's yeah. the bit, it's the sort of yeah. ultra outbacky, really, really dry bit of Australia. There we go. We've completed the, the circle. It's one of the first facts I ever learned at QI. Is it? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, GABA actually stands in this case for gamma amino butyric acid. Ah. Uh, and <laughs> but the inter- really interesting thing about it is that it's the same molecule that's used in mammals and in other animals to signal um, messages between your body. So through your nervous system, you yeah. also use GABA, and these plants are using the same thing. Wow. That's amazing. Like, That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So we all contain GABA. We're all contained. We all GABA. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us more than others. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of stuff over the last kind of 10 years, if you start reading about plant, uh, that looks into the idea of plant consciousness being a thing. Not yeah. in the same way that humans have it, but investigating whether we've underestimated that. And I think people didn't want to think about it for ages um, because of this thing that I'd, I'd never heard of, actually. But this guy called Trofim Lysenko, who's this Soviet guy. So basically, he thought that plants had memories. Um, and he turned out to be a real piece of shit. And um, right. so people don't like to copy him. So there are some grains yeah. that are stimulated by cold weather to know to then grow in spring. Oh, right. But yeah, he yeah. realized that if he subjected those grains to just cold temperatures, he could trick them into thinking that it had been winter. And then they'd remember that. And then they'd grow in what they thought was spring a few months yeah. later. So he said plants have got memories great does that mean double harvests that means double harvest exactly so he was like this is going to transform the soviet union oh my god i am going to make it go so well and as many of us know the soviet union did not go that well um in a harvest sense but but he he didn't sound like a piece of shit so far right sounds sounds like a good guy so far trying to get some extra harvests in no i agree maybe his intentions (laughs) were good at some point so he came up with some really dodgy scientific conclusions which were completely incorrect and forced loads of farmers to plant specific grains Uh, at specific times it didn't work and it's really responsible for a lot of the famines of the 40s and 50s in the Soviet Union and you know he's possibly responsible for millions of deaths the whole plant consciousness is obviously a giant pseudoscience which has been around since the late 60s there was a book that was called The Secret Life of Plants which came out which was Mm -hmm. a number one bestseller globally and it had all of these big claims about what plants were able to do and um, so a guy called Cleve Baxter was the main guy behind it he was a CIA polygraph guy who kind of made oh, no. it was an extraordinary story and it kind of the reason people talk to plants these days kind of is rooted back to him these days there's an amazing woman in australia who's called monica gagliano and she's leading a lot in bioacoustics which is looking at plants and how sound might be something that they can pick up as well many scientists obviously hugely skeptical but she works for a university in sydney and she's publishing reports that let's say for example you played the sound of water Mm. and it was a recording of water the roots would grow towards it we should say gagliano is not the kind of pseudoscience of the 70s book like she is a legitimate she's a legitimate scientist but she makes huge claims she wrote a book called thus spoke the plant which she says she co-wrote with plants speaking to the plants she not share, metaphorically literally did she share the royalties oh. uh possibly i bet she does in some way give it to a charity <laughs> that looks after plants because <laughs> hmm. yeah she has done experiments which are very surprising like she did that 
thing where um, if you drop certain plants, then they will uh, close up to try and protect themselves. And so she created actually this really cool thing, which you use to drop a plant, which, you know, when you're at a fairground and you sit on one of those benches, yeah. it carries you up a pole, a yeah. vertical pole, and it drops you down again. She made that for plants. And she realized <laughs> that if you <laughs> drop them enough times, they stop closing up. Because um, they learn. Because they learn yeah. that it's not going to do them any harm. And yeah. she says that it can then remember that lesson for a month. You can modify plants to make them drought-proof. As oh, in, yeah. you can um, you can GM tweak them basically. So this is something that was done in 2018. Scientists tweaked a single gene in tobacco plants, which means they lose. Uh, I think it was a quarter less water, and it's because they have these pores, right, mm. which they normally open up. Uh, and close in response to daylight okay so that's what triggers it so when the pores are open they suck in carbon dioxide uh, but they also lose water so the carbon dioxide is necessary for photosynthesis but losing water is obviously a bad thing if you're in a time of drought mm. so in the gm version of these plants they open for a briefer spell they just go whoop, and then whoop, and it close oh, nice. up again mm. so good the good th- thank you so the good thing <laughs> is they can still get enough carbon dioxide in to do all the photosynthesis they need yeah. but they lose a quarter less water you will have a, a plant that is way more resistant to dry oh, weather clever it's so clever why do we need all this tobacco uh, <laughs> that's a great point. I, I suppose they hope it can be done eventually with other... With other more useful plants. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We're not just all going to have to just literally be smoking 20 a day. To- but we <laughs> will, if we smoke 20 a day, we will need less food. So we'll have to grow less wheat. So actually, right. it's a real that's pro- a great <laughs> yeah. In 1933, yo-yos were banned in Syria because they thought they were causing droughts. Right. Yeah, I read that. Was there a logic um, to that? Yeah, so you have uh, ulama who were like religious um, heads Mm -hmm. uh, and they petitioned the prime minister of Syria and said that the yo-yo was responsible for the drought that they were having at the time because the up and down movement was counteracting their prayers. Uh, And so they banned it and the next day it rained. There we go. Um, But anyway, um, there was an article in the New York Times at the time and they spoke about whether this could be true or not and they said well london at the moment is full of yo-yos and it rains there all the time <laughs> that, <laughs> so is that strong. was their evidence that's counter evidence yeah. yeah um james mm. do you have a view as a golf fan yes on what i think you know is coming the fact that in droughts golf courses are very often exempt in the uk in australia yeah, yeah. and uh, it's on health at the moment this is a huge deal in france they're going and um, pouring concrete and stuff into golf holes on golf courses uh, which is the most pointless thing because they change the golf hole every single day like on a golf course if you <laughs> go onto a green <laughs> okay. there's a, the hole is in a certain place every day they fill it in and they put it in a different place i had Ooh. no idea I about that. So it's part of the game that. because people play every day right and so you it would be boring if it was always in oh the same yeah place. that's the thing that makes it boring. <laughs> <laughs> but people are coming in filling in these holes which are literally about to be filled in anyway they're doing their job for them yeah maybe they're doing it to help them out well that's very funny and so that <laughs> they how far like three centimeters to the left <laughs> it might be as little as that it's, it tends to be like another part of the green right like with and a different so slope do golfers yeah. claim oh i would have got it if 
if I've been here yesterday, <laughs> yeah. I was playing actually to yesterday's well, hole. Yeah, actually, when you play golf, <laughs> you no. can see where the old hole was because it never quite mends. Right. And so often you'll hit a ball and you're nowhere near the actual hole, but you're right next to where it was a few <laughs> days ago. Can you get like a half point for that? No half points. No, they don't give po- it's not a points game, is no, it? Well, the, oh, yeah, it is. shots. Yeah, well, shots, shots yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, well, I think I th- we've all learned something very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they are exempt and they're exempt on... Um, a According to Southern Water, um, because this is happening at the moment in the UK, there have been a few hosepipe bans in certain areas. Uh, Southern Water wrote on their website that on health and safety grounds, golf courses are exempt. I mean, no, I'd rather think if I'm not allowed to use a hosepipe on my garden, probably you shouldn't be allowed on golf courses. Probably would use more on a golf course. But perhaps there are reasons like because it gets people doing healthy things mm. maybe is, is there other exemptions on tennis carts for instance and well, my, sporting mm, I've got data on this yeah my local bowls club lawn is looking very green indeed. <laughs> I would imagine probably they for all sporting and health events they probably have an exemption they I exempt. don't know yeah but. I guess golf courses are just the big one the big grassy ones aren't they yeah. so that's yeah, probably I mean, the ones got, that get all the attention because bowls is smaller you know yeah. um, although it's probably less healthy as well I mean, bowls doesn't do much good for you. I health. remember once no. reading that it was the most dangerous sport that you can do, and that's because 90-year-olds do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you look at the number of deaths... Huge right. fatality yeah. rate, yeah. Um, well, I was... Lo- sorry, just on golf courses, if you did want to not water your golf course, I was looking at advice on restoring courses after drought on some golf website, and apparently it said, make sure that all dead grass plants are removed by scarifying or tickle-harrowing the turf. Tickle harrowing. Tickle harrowing. That's quite a good word for something, isn't it? If you've had a harrowing experience, but not very harrowing. <laughs> it, was uh, a, it was a bit tickle harrowing. Tickle harrowing. <laughs> yeah. Watching The Exorcist. You know. oh, um, I'm sorry, I cannot get over that they change the golf hole every day. <laughs> it's no, absolutely really. blown my mind. And I think so listeners at home are in my position right now, going, why are they talking about anything else? That is Certainly anyone who plays golf or has ever played golf or yes. ever watched golf on television would know that. Watching it on TV, um, you wouldn't notice the next day. I mean, they talk about it all the time. (laughs) There's very little else to talk about. (laughs) Are there any rogue hole places who put it right on the edge of the green? That's kind of the point. Oh, Let's say, for instance, there's a green, right? It's got lots of slopes on it. One of the slopes goes right down into some water, Mm. right? If you put the hole right next to that slope, then it really changes where you aim because you're not going to aim to the the side of it where the water is, Mm -hmm. right? Or you can put it 20 yards further so you have to use a different golf club to reach it on the next time or you put it next to a bunker why not do it so that there is no flag so all you do is when you arrive and this is for professionals when you arrive you have the the data of the previous month's hole positions yeah i mean that pretty much happens what you're talking about so the week before a major championship all the caddies will walk around and look at all the possible places where the hole could be where it's been in previous years where it's been on the on the thursday on a friday on a saturday on a sunday (laughs) and they kind of know more or less where it's going to be and then on the morning they all get a little booklet that tells you exactly where the hole is on each of the yeah right the 18 holes so it's and it'll be like 17 yards on and eight yards from the left or whatever and that's every morning they get that Okay, so I found a way of being less interested in golf than I was before. <laughs> which was already the most fascinating <laughs> chat I think I've had oh in eight God. years of this podcast. If, if, oh, God. So then, no, no, just, one more, just one more question. One more question. So let's say a, a Masters is happening uh, yeah. and, um, and they go and Even they, I'm bored of this now. Yeah, no, 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 no,
is there a kind of thing where you go home and let's say Greg Norman and watch golf in a while? Greg Norman is <laughs> you definitely haven't if you're talking about Greg Norman <laughs> and the Masters. But anyway, carry on. Is there a simulation thing where they can place the ball in a virtual reality kind of simulation so they can test with knowing what the wind speeds will be the next day and so on? Can they prepare? Uh, you have simulated golf and you have you can simulate wind for sure and you yeah. can simulate pin positions. Whether anyone actually does that, I doubt, but it's not impossible. Dan, I cannot believe you fought tooth and nail even though we were saying shut up from that question that was so boring Dan. are you hell. kidding me that was so okay, boring kill it Dan, you <laughs> and i will do our own special podcast afterwards where you ask me all the questions no one ever wants to know about yeah. golf it's gonna be a hit club fish new show coming <laughs> golf club <Very> fish <laughs> Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that when you play golf... (laughs) (laughs) Yes! Yes! Okay, my fact this week is that in 2017, there was a house party in Maryland that was so boozy, the ambient air in the building tested positive on a breathalyzer. I'm just excited that everyone from the US is going to switch off because you just said Maryland. Maryland. It's just Maryland. That's just how US. But Maryland, I can in see Maryland. in a, probably in a Bolton right. accent. In a Bolton accent, yeah. Well, this so feels like getting shit for the golf chat. This feels like the, the non-meat of the fact, given that the uh, <laughs> uh, building tested positive on breathalyzer. I mean, that's the funny thing. It's um, incredible. So yeah, this was a party, um, like a frat party kind of thing, mm. uh, advertised online as Tequila Tuesday. Uh, loads of neighbors complained that it was so loud, and so the police turned up. And it turned out that as well as being <laughs> beer cans and spilled alcohol and, and lots of possibly underage people drinking, they also did a breathalyzer on lots of people, but they did it inside the um, house and it registered 0.01. So it wouldn't be legally drunk, but it showed up on the breathalyzer. <laughs> so it would be able to drive. It would be able to, the building <laughs> would be allowed to drive. Um, but the reason that this is kind of interesting, I think, is that some breathalyzers, they work by taking the ambient air and then they compare your breath to what the air is. And so, like, if you're outside, if you've been driving and then they stop you, they're testing against the air, you know, around the road, that's one thing. But if they're testing against air, which is already also drunk, then there could be a problem (laughs) with your- That's really funny. So if you could sort of hotbox your car with alcohol (laughs) air, make sure they test that. Yeah, yeah, if you are drink driving right now, quickly (laughs) pour vodka all over your car (laughs) and waft up the air conditioning, get it going. Going, just uh, and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not condoning drink driving in any way. Absolutely, not. I think we are based on uh, based on this research. Blimey, um, I really like the the fact that the breathalyzer was first called the drunkometer. Yeah, it's yeah. a much funnier mm. and better name. Yeah, that was an early an early version of it. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. it was like thirty years into sixties. Even they were still calling it the drunkometer. It was a standard phrase, or sometimes the alchemeter. Um, it was about thirty years they called it that. Yeah. Also, yeah. intoximeter. intoximeter as well which is saying it it? is a test actually if you can pronounce it (laughs) you'll find it right but uh, the drunkometer was a different thing than the breathalyzer we use today I I love that the that the breathalyzer itself was invented by a guy called Robert Frank Borkenstein (laughs) it's amazing Frank Borkenstein is such a great name Yeah. yeah In Canada, it's sometimes called the Borkenstein, or it used to be, like ah. um, the breathalyzer was known as a Borkenstein. Oh. Of course, Borkenstein was the name of the doctor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should call it Borkenstein's monster. That's right. Yeah. 
he really changed things a lot, Borkenstein. Because it yeah. was 1954 he invented it. And before him, the drunkometer could tell the presence of alcohol, but it couldn't tell the quantity of alcohol, mm. couldn't measure it precisely. And so before him, a defense lawyer, if someone was on a charge of drink driving, a defense lawyer might say, oh, my client was working very long hours. Uh, and his eyes are red because he's got allergies and you know I've got friends of his racked up who will all swear blind that he only had two beers on the night and mm. so he's not you know he wasn't drink driving right. and it was incredible it was just so hard to prove yeah yeah uh, whereas Borkenstein absolutely changed that he did he liked to drink himself though if oh, yeah. you look at any obituaries, they're not very euphemistic about it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, in was the he Guardian. inventing it as a competitive thing? Like, who could <laughs> score highest on my breathalyzer? Uh, in The Guardian, it says, um, he was a genial fellow who enjoyed serving drinks to his friends and exhibited a Catholic taste in wines and spirits. Ah. Uh, but he was a really great guy. He, um, he, when he was a child, he built a robot, um, which worked. Like when he was at school. Um, In World War II, they had bombs which had latches in um, which held them before they were released. But they needed to be spot checked. And he invented a new way of spot checking them which made it way, way easier. So it meant help the the war effort in that way. Nice. Um, Safety first again. Yeah. Theme developing. I read a thing. There was a judge in Kerry Island. So this is um, a case. Two cases were thrown out where the drink driving claim was no longer useful because the judge said that the people who were accused of potentially being drunk had inhaled their own urine while they were in the actual custody of the police. So, Sorry. Right. What? so this is a thing. There's a thing which is kind of known as a loophole law. And what it is, is called Section 49. It requires that if you are a police um, bringing people to the um, to the station yeah. mm-hmm. there needs to be 20 minutes before you breathalyze them in that 20 minutes you have to have your eyes on them and they can't have drinks and they can't have anything that might influence what their breath is going to be as in you breathalyze them straight away in the car haven't you because when you stop someone in a car you breathalyze yep. them yeah, yeah. but then you take them to but the you station. need them you need it at the yeah. station for it to be legit so yeah. What happen- and I think that's because the idea is that you can show a false positive on a breathalyzer if you've drunk really recently or if you've got like alcohol in your mouth, right? So it's just waiting long enough that you're definitely To make sure that you're positive. definitely positive, yeah. Okay, so why, where, where do we get to inhaling your own urine? So in these, <laughs> in these two specific cases, a judge called uh, Judge O'Connor, he said that he, where he was told that during this 20-minute period where they went to be observed, they both went to the bathroom. And when they went to the bathroom, they both were facing away from the police officers who were meant to be monitoring them. And according to the judge, in that time, the urine could have released odors that would have been of a alcoholic nature, and that could influence. Is that their why brand. we say someone's pissed? Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Quite what possible. year was this? That uh, is incredible. It wasn't long ago, but I haven't written down I mean, the that year. That is bananas. Did it work? Yeah. Do we know? Yeah, they got the the two cases were thrown out of that court for that specific amazing. reason. Yeah. yeah why are we sharing tips but I mean yeah. that's incredible so what they should have done was after they came back from the toilet waited another 20 minutes but then they they used that's the breathalyzer test within that time frame bananas yeah. yeah or you say it was just the police weren't monitoring them so or if the police they were at the urinal but the policeman is sort of facing them at the urinal and watching them for I every second I think if you're at a urinal and someone's facing you mm. there are problems something's gone wrong they have to be something's sitting in wrong. the urinal don't they yeah. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Barbara Castle uh, sure. Yes, we can. Yeah, very, very keen. Mm. Um, so, transport secretary who introduced breathalyzers to British policing in 1967. Mm-hmm. Made, you know, um, and part of the problem was that at the time the number of cars on the road had increased sixfold in the previous 20 years. Mm-hmm. So there were, you know, in the late 40s there were two million cars on the road. Now there were 12 million. That's sixfold. That's sixfold. <laughs> 
and my new podcast is going to be about simple sums and we'll go up against your golf hole podcast and we'll just see whose is worse it was just that last week Anna said something about doubling and she said from 6 million to 12 million you went that's doubling no, I've been hoist on my own referential petard I hate it um, anyway Barbara Castle was great um, yeah. but um, she was incredibly unpopular at the time for introducing this partly because drinkers really? were saying you know, I want to be able to have several drinks and then go home or want to drive home so some pub customers stuck pins in a doll <gasps> labelled Barbara oh. Castle that's from <laughs> that's from the mirror in 67 wow. um, but her, her main foe maybe when this thing was introduced uh, was have you guys heard of AJP Taylor? no he's a very famous 20th century historian basically mm. really really famous at the time and he wrote about her and about breathalysers again and again and there was a piece why pick on the private motorist and he said no one has the slightest idea how much alcohol affects a driver the slightly tired driver for instance may actually be improved by a glass of sherry <laughs> and he concluded at the end of this piece it was a really really rude piece about her and about the whole idea he said I've been driving a car for 45 years I have consistently ignored all the various speed limits. <laughs> Never once have I encountered the slightest risk as a result. <laughs> this is what she was up against. I found the way breathalysers work mm. really interesting. Mm, yeah. um, in a way that's not um, <laughs> at more all interesting funny. than where they put the hole <laughs> on the green. You do realise the ball we called back to this morning. I'm going to have, oh, no, have no, to no. keep it in. Oh, no. <laughs> this is my spin off podcast. <laughs> Um, so uh, they work based on colour change which I think is so cool so basically when you breathe into a breathalyzer you've, you've usually got or the police who's holding the breathalyzer they've got the control solution on one side and then they've got the solution that you're breathing into um, and they're using a solution called potassium dichromite um, which is orange in colour mm -hmm. but when you breathe into it the alcohol reacts with the dichromite and it produces chromium uh, chromium ions on their own and that is green so if you're breathing alcohol into it the orange turns to green which is kind of cool mm. and then the way it works is it produces an electrical current based on the color change which i actually just didn't know could happen so because different colors produce different amounts of energy so if you've got a color that's a high frequency like blue like at the bottom of the rainbow it produces more energy than let's say red so that we can connect it up to a system where that translates into an electrical current. Okay. Um, so you connect some electrodes to the green solution and the orange solution, and they can sense the difference between the two and exactly how green it is. Wow, that's and amazing. And that's exactly how much alcohol you've got. And that's that, what that's a cool. standard that's breathalyzer? That's what they use, yeah. That's and incredible. then it translates into a figure on a screen. Yeah, so you yeah, don't yeah. see any of this. Oh, no, of course. Sadly. Yeah. yeah. And, and you probably might be too drunk to understand it anyway. <laughs> I haven't had anything to drink and I was clinging on. <laughs> um, in 2010, in Eastern Cape in South Africa, uh, there was a person who was arrested and breathalyzed and they were 32 times over the legal alcohol limit. Oh. Wow. Which, I, as far as I can tell, is a record. He was caught driving a Mercedes-Benz Vito very erratically. And inside the car, there were also five children, a woman and 15 sheep. What? Uh, me? That's a big number. Was he part of a joke? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, in the, in the single in the car, car? Yeah. Hang on, you can't get 15 sheep in a car? Well, he did. If you're drunk enough, you can do anything. <laughs> 
It probably that wasn't a Mini, was it? It was a Mercedes-Benz Vito, which I actually don't know what that kind of car is. But it doesn't sound like it's a bus. So <laughs> that's... that's wow. Apparently he'd allegedly <laughs> stolen the sheep from nearby farms so wow. um, while drunk. Imagine waking up in the morning, kind of forgetting what you did last night, <laughs> going out to the car. There's just 15 sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 2010 was a huge year for uh, drink driving incidents like this. So also in 2010, a guy in Nebraska was uh, pulled over after swerving dangerously on the road. And the police saw he was driving very erratically. And there was a bottle of vodka in the car, empty beer cans all over the place. He was 19 years old. I mean, all the signs were there. He was arrested. You can say you're going to the recycling centre, can't you? (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) He he was tested. He was definitely over the limit. Yeah. But the extra bit of evidence against him was that at the time he was dressed as a breathalyzer test. (laughs) 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 He'd been to a party. (laughs) And it had a a dial on the front which said, you know, are you blood alcohol level? And it was from loser having fun to brain damage. (laughs) (laughs) The arrow was set to brain damage for him. And he had a tube which you blow into at his crotch level <laughs> with insert inside mouth written on it. And did the police use his breathalyzer? <laughs> he said, can you blow into this? So he's like, only after you blow into this. Oh, what an absolute oh. tool. Yep. Pol- police said that he was joined at the detox centre by a French maid and a naughty border patrol agent. <laughs> oh my right. God. There's one way that people think you can beat the um, test and that's by sucking on a penny. Mm-hmm. The idea is that the zinc or the copper in the penny reacts with your alcohol in your mouth and it kind of puts a different chemical into the breathalyzer so it doesn't do all the chemical yeah. stuff it's supposed to do. Basically, old breathalyzers, that would work, but these oh, days really? the way breathalyzers are made, it doesn't work. And it hasn't oh. worked for about you know, 10, 20 years almost that it hasn't worked. Right. God, I hope you get an incredibly old police yeah. officer. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was another thing in 1967. This was a warning published in the Somerset County Gazette. A warning was given to motorists, and it was just as the breathalyzer was being introduced. A warning was given to motorists by Somerset Police this week that they should treat with caution the suggestion that they could beat the breathalyzer by eating mashed potatoes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is just you load up on mashed potato and then you're fine. Feels <laughs> like, yeah. You can't, they do get tricked by certain things, so you never know. That's wow. why a breathalyzer can never be admissible evidence. It just gives you enough evidence to take them to the police station where you do a blood test. Like for instance, uh, there's if you have a lot of acetone um, in your in your breath. That could be just because you haven't eaten for a long that's time. That's if you haven't right? eaten for a long time. Uh, if you're yeah. diabetic, you can have mm. acetone levels a thousand times higher um, than normal. That can set off a breathalyzer. Yeah. So you can make all of these excuses while you're on the way to the police station. I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> picturing someone right now listening to our show. They've just been pulled over and they're desperately, while the policeman's walking towards their car, <laughs> listening to all the advice we're giving right now, yeah. looking for pennies on the floor. With their like, mashed, mashed, mashed potatoes mashed in potatoes. the back. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that fact that you guys didn't let me put in book of the year? A guy pulled over who was probably on drugs uh, more than alcohol and the police officers asked him for a urine sample on the spot. So he went into the bush and he took ages to come back out. And then when he came out, he presented a semen sample and he had misheard what they said. <laughs> <laughs> okay that's it that's all of our facts thank you so much for listening if you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast we can be found on our twitter accounts i'm on at schreiberland 
Andy at Andrew Hunter M James at James Harkin and Anna you can email podcast.qi.com yep you can go to our group account which is at no such thing or our website no such thing as a fish.com all of our previous episodes are up there as well as links to this final bit of the tour that we're about to go on for nerd immunity it's only around the corner so check the dates uh, it's early September we'd love to see you there um, otherwise you can also join our brand new membership club club fish it's where we are putting up all of these episodes without any of the ads that you hear along the way without there. any of the golf mentions without any of the golf mentions it's absolutely where do i sign <laughs> <laughs> but there's extra content as well it's a really fun place so do check it out otherwise just stay here we'll be back again next week with another episode we'll see you then goodbye